Hello, internet friends, and welcome back to another episode of Go Ask Alice, the show where we jump down random internet rabbit holes and bring you wonderful factoids from our adventures in Wiki Wonderland. I'm Drew, a forensic scientist, and my favorite word is sesquipedalian. With me is Lindsay. <laughs> Your giggliest host. <laughs> and I'm Sarah, uh, a studier of star farts and fire darts. <laughs> This is the show where we all start out on the same Wikipedia page and we gloss our eyes over and click around until we find something that we find interesting. We've limited ourselves to finding something interesting if we read two or more paragraphs. Today's wiki article was patella, which is a part of the knee. So before we dive down into the patella hole, uh, let's do our <laughs> let's do our weekly get to know each other and get to know you a little bit better. So this week's question is, what is your most controversial opinion? So our listeners, I want to hear your most controversial opinions on Twitter. And let's start with Drew. What is your most controversial opinion? I think that cheese by itself is disgusting. <gasps> Like, eating pure <laughs> cheese is gross and what? should never be done. Like, I, can't, you know, I can't know you anymore. Taking oh a handful of cheese and just eating it, that sounds disgusting to me. What do you do while you're oh cooking? Not eat cheese? Oh. <laughs> I eat fistfuls of cheese from, like, the cheese packet when we're making pizza. Oh, same. <laughs> what about, like, the fancy cheeses? Like a good brie or a, or a camembert. Yeah, like cheese is made for this kind of enjoyment, this kind of interaction. You know, whenever someone puts like a cheese plate out in front of me, I'm just looking for like the stuff on the outside of the cheese plate, <laughs> like the grapes and like the meats. And I just like, I grab like the, the just whatever I can. And you know, that's, that's my cheese plate is meats, meats and the occasional fruit, not, uh, not cheese. <laughs> I had a friend who used to eat actually just the garnish, like the kale or... <laughs> oh, no. you got to do I looked at him once. I looked at him once and he was like, what? It's fine. And I was like, like is it? Is it? You sure about that? Like, wow, grad life like is really sad. <laughs> oh, being a student makes you so, uh, what is it, innovative with the Desperate. shitty dishes you can make. <laughs> yeah it's desperate it's like mm, what can i make with some two minute noodles uh i've got some like sriracha sauce and i don't know like a week old broccoli stick and you figure it out <laughs> <laughs> yeah Alrighty, that is pretty controversial drew um i will be judging you for the rest of eternity thank you <laughs> <laughs> yep. all righty lindsay what's your most controversial opinion so, I love the band Fleetwood Mac. Me too. My... I'm named after. Oh, really? a... Yeah, I'm named after after a Stevie Nicks song. <gasps> I wa- You know, I was listening to, I was listening to their best of the other day, and I heard like this song that was like you know about Sarah. Yeah. And I was like, I wonder if she knows this song. I was named <laughs> after that song. That's beautiful. Now That's I cannot great. share this. No, you gotta, you gotta. <laughs> so you love Fleetwood Mac, but I love Fleetwood Mac, but I actually prefer the songs where Lindsay Buckingham sings rather than Stevie Nicks. That is not a. I don't. I don't know if that's a controversial opinion. I guess it is a controversial yeah. opinion. 
but yeah, Lindsay, I, I'd yeah. say that's pretty controversial. When I tell people, they're like, you can't tell people that. No, Lindsay's songs are amazing. I think so too. They are my favorite ones. I And it's not even on purpose. It's not like I seek them out. It's just the ones that get stuck in my head or the ones I want to hear first thing in the morning are all songs that are sung by Lindsay, which is maybe just, you know, solidarity. I, I like yeah. it. I think, I don't know if anyone will be, I, or you might get people who are a little upset, <laughs> a little upset about that. So you get someone who's <laughs> typing real hard right now and just like, mm. it's Steve, Stevie herself. <laughs> Steve, Steve yourself is typing, <laughs> giving you a, popping up in your DMs, being like, "I hate you too." <laughs> I wish. Oh. Sarah, what are you going to do to horrify us? Um, okay, mine is not too horrifying, but it would be to my father-in-law. <laughs> so, my Uh-oh. most controversial opinion is that dogs should wear shoes in in certain circumstances. <gasps> I should say. Oh. <laughs> I think that qualifier makes it less controversial. So we have a greyhound and she's a very sensitive lady um, because she was a rescue greyhound. So she used to be a racing dog, but she's got really sensitive little toe beans. Um, So I spent more money on a pair of shoes for her (laughs) than I have spent on a pair of shoes for me in many years. Um, She's got like little purple leather booties um, and she wears them when, when she's got sore feet. And I think it's adorable. But I agree with that wholeheartedly because when it's winter and people are walking their dogs, I'm like, you would not step barefoot on concrete in like, Mm. you know, zero degrees Celsius or, you know, like you you just, you would not go outside barefoot in the snow. Yeah. So I just find it cruel to make your pets do the same. So I agree with you. Same when it's very, very hot in Australia, like the, the, the concrete and the bitumen of the roads gets like scoldingly hot. Um, but yeah, and my, so my favorite chewed doggo, apart from my own Lucy Goose, um, was when I, I was doing a couple of different hiking trails at Yosemite and there was a man and his dog that we, we saw a couple of times and the doggo had special little hiking dog shoes. <laughs> Oh, I know. With arch support? Probably. He was such a good boy. And he was like running up, running up on all the different rocks, living his best life. But he was safe because he had his little grippy, little grippy shoes on. I love that. Okay. So we started with the Wikipedia page for Patella, which is part of your kneecap, right? It's your kneecap. Right. Okay. And where did we all end up? Well, I ended up in a, uh, Something between architecture and military history. Oh, wow. So the the name of the place I ended up, I'm going to get myself in trouble because I'm really bad at enunciating my T's. I ended up in Star Forts. Star Forts. Star Forts? Star Forts. Okay. Yeah. I ended up in a person. Uh, I ended up in a person. Jesus. Uh, <laughs> after dark again. Um. I ended up at uh, Humphrey Davy. I don't know who that is, but I really like the name Humphrey. It reminds me of Humphrey the Bear. Humphrey the Bear. <laughs> and Sarah, where'd you end up? Uh, I ended up on a book that was called Spy Catcher. Um, but the book itself is based on nonfiction. So it was written by a former MI, 
sorry, written by a former MI5 agent, um, which is kind of like one of the one of the like British version of like the CIA or FBI. I really want to hear that. Would you go first, Sarah? Yeah, yeah, I can go first. Okay, why don't we do Sarah Drew me? I'm cool with that. Alrighty. Okay, so I ended up on the Wikipedia page, uh, the Spycatcher page, um, and then I did I did a little clicky into the guy who wrote it because he was equally as as fascinating, and I think it's a bit of a wild ride. Uh, so Spycatcher was a book, um, and its byline was a candid autobiography by a senior intelligence officer. Um, and it was meant to like basically expose the MI5 division for having a complete like Russian mole within the division during the Cold War. Um, and I thought, wow, this is really cool and interesting. So uh, I went down the rabbit hole. How many clicks did it take you? Because I did not end up anywhere like flirting with this topic. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I think it took me about nine clicks um and so i I clicked through a couple of different like body part bits and bobs starting from kneecap um but i ended up on blowhole and then (laughs) 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 from blowhole i ended up on sea world because dolphins and and like whales have the blowholes and then on sea world they were talking about like uh, espionage and how uh, other companies and like protesters of SeaWorld will spy on SeaWorld themselves to see if their practices are fair and and just to the animals. Oh, yeah. I totally thought that meant that people hide cameras on dolphins. <laughs> oh my god, I wish. Thank you for explaining that a little well, bit there was further. That, there like a beluga whale that um, fishermen found in the in the arctic who was really friendly he ended up coming up to the boat and they were throwing like a boy like a little almost like a ball type thing and he would collect it and come back um but there so newspapers published about that being like oh what a cute little guy and apparently some experts came out and went oh we're pretty sure like that's been trained by somebody to to spy that's how i want to die with by spying i want to be double crossed by a fish (laughs) I'm just gonna die shaking my fist out of fucking tilapia. <laughs> Get out of here! Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Double crossed by the fish. Right. Okay. I'm sorry, Sarah. I'm sorry oh for the divergence. No, no, it was a good divergence. So yeah, espionage <laughs> and then spies and then it was talking about like traders and I and I got here. Um. <laughs> so this guy who wrote it was. His name was Peter Wright, um, and he was the assistant director of this MI5. Um, and so briefly, I wanted to just like describe MI5 a tiny little bit because you probably are familiar with MI6, yes. which is like James Bond, like secret spies, all that badassery. Mm-hmm. Um, so MI5 is the military intelligence section. So they're not they're not super secret unlike MI6, but they are still part of that whole spy world. Um, And so this dude, Peter Wright, was like pretty high up assistant director. Um, And it turns out he was on kind of like a little bit of a vendetta against who he thought was the mole. Um, So I thought I'd take you through some of the events uh, to make him convinced that there was a mole inside um, 
inside the government. Oh, first, so these your handwritten notes. Yeah, these are my handwritten notes. Sorry, because <laughs> <laughs> I write all over the page. <laughs> Um, So what I thought was super interesting about the book, though, was that it's actually really hard to get because it was banned completely by the UK. So it wasn't sold in the UK. Australia also tried to ban it because Old Mate had moved here and was living here when he wrote it and released it. Um, And so I was trying to find, like, I wanted to read it or listen to it as an audiobook and it just doesn't exist. Um, but I, I managed to like, I was able to rent a hand scanned copy for one hour on the internet. What? <laughs> That's how in demand it is apparently. And then on Amazon, wow. they're selling a paperback for $225, which is just wow. very oh, pricey. You. No. This sounds, this slaps of the deep web. <laughs> yes. <laughs> slaps of the deep web it does like you have to get invited to be on like certain deep web <laughs> forums and like, that's ne- just what this yeah i've never entered the deep web what is it like i i haven't either my friend who is a uh <laughs> she's a law major and she had a day off and she found a reddit thread that taught her how to do it so she did it just to see like proof of concept and you do have to be invited to join certain wow. like um, auction rooms. Yeah. And in that moment, like the moment that you're invited, you have to create a username and password. And she was from a place in, in Southern New Zealand and it's like very rural and nothing happens there except that they've had a repeating person shitting in their pool every Friday at three o'clock. <laughs> And like gun to her head, ready to sign on the deep web. That was all she could think about. So she made her username pool pooper and was just serving the deep web like with her life. Very intimidating, creepy username. And um girl. I hope she had like a a sticker over her webcam. (laughs) I hope so too. I'm sure I'm sure it's fine. Um, well, sorry now that I blew her cover, but, uh, you know, it was, it was like, you know, it was (laughs) pool pooper. (laughs) Did they figure out who was shitting in the pool? I think eventually he did get caught. Yes. Um, but yeah, yeah. Just this whole, like, you can only rent it for one hour thing sounds very much invitation only, very much pool pooper-esque. Yeah, so in my hour, I I used it to like skim, and I just wanted to look at the photos, and it wasn't it wasn't that interesting. Like all of the photos were not as as uh, scandalous as I thought they were going to be. Oh man! But I thought the actual story itself is quite funny because it stems a little bit further from this book. So the book itself is kind of like a little bit of a history of what MI five is. Um, and then a little bit of a history of like the different directors. And then it just goes into, there's a mole and he starts accusing you who the mole is. And I'm not going to tell you who he thinks the mole is because that's going to be the big reveal. So. He's the mole. <laughs> He's the mole. No, it wasn't him. It wasn't. Or was it? Um, <laughs> so I thought we would start out on the unofficial 11th commandment known by people in the intelligence agency as thou shall not get caught, which is one of the most important things. If you're a spy, if you don't want to get caught. So I'm going to take you back. So we're going to go back to like 1950s to the 1970s. So right after world war two, we're in a bit of a cold war, uh, 
Russia, America not being super friendly to each other. Everybody now has atomic bombs, which is not a great thing. So everybody's spying on each other to see if anyone's going to press the big red button. And so in the UK, they start to get intelligence that the USSR has infiltrated uh, not only different like minor areas of the UK government, um, but they're, they're just kind of everywhere where people from the government and very high places kind of interact. So there's uh, there was this club between Oxford and Cambridge, like a super secret like men's club basically and apparently they they had infiltrated that from the information so everybody was shocked because they're like how could they how could they get in the system so in 1963 uh, there was a man that was arrested for being a double agent so he was within the UK government but he was also a spy for the US SR um, and so that was a huge story that this guy you know he had infiltrated the system um, everybody had you know, not necessarily liked him, but hadn't suspected him. Uh, but there was intelligence coming through MI5 that there was still like a fifth man inside. There was still like a KGB agent had had penetrated higher regions. And so this is where our, the author of this book, Peter Wright, like really gets on his, like his own conspiracy theory of who he thought it was. Oh, so he was tipped off by very real information. Yeah, so he was tipped off. So he started, his suspicions started, um, sorry, his suspicions started to begin um, uh, when the, the there was an arrest of like this mastermind uh, KGB agent. Um, Gordon Longsdale was his, uh, like his English name, but he... he that was his like double double alter he had he was russian originally and so this guy was arrested should have been a huge deal and within the agency they started to get suspicious because the kgb didn't react the way they they thought they were going to considering they had just arrested a double agent like that's a big deal um you know y'all are not meant to get caught and so there was like theories that this guy had basically been a scapegoat. Like they had kind of given him up to protect someone who was who was higher up, um, and so they were trying to get further investigation into it. And Peter Wright was really trying to like push for further investigation. And the head of MII five at the time, um, Roger Hollis seemed to like get in the way he was putting obstructions into further investigations um and he was you know kind of halting it at like these allegations that there was a mole within mii5 so then (laughs) bloody peter peter's like it's hollis he's convinced that the director of this agency is the double agent and so he starts to dig in deeper and deeper and he's using his own time and money now hiring people to dig into hollis um and so he found two relationships that he thought was a bit weird that hollis had with with people uh in his life and so he had found out that roger hollis had concealed his relationship with uh claude cockburn what a name um, <laughs> who, <laughs> who was a communist journalist uh, journalist and suspected to have ties to the KGB um, so he wasn't completely open about that relationship apparently and then he also had a friendship with um, Agnes Smedley 
uh, I hope I said her name right, um, who was dating a known Soviet spy master. Apparently he had met up with her on a couple of different occasions. This is why Peter was going for him because he's like, oh, he's got two little, two kind of dodgy friends. This this might be it. Yes, yeah, so keep sticking. Um, and he finds that when so there was um a soviet defector named igor gon gonzinko igor gonzinko um who defected to canada and they sent um someone from the agency to go interview him i'm gonna pause you right yeah yeah, yeah. i'm gonna pause you right there sir why is the name igor just inherently evil <laughs> like you tell me that and i'm like yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> like i i'm already convinced now <laughs> oh that's amazing oh i actually have a friend with the name e- uh with yeah the name igor and it's just such a good name because it sounds it sounds it's like so, a disney it's a good character. scientist name yes it, yeah it's a good disney villain name it's a good spy name like igor is maybe not the protagonist but he is one of like the main antagonists Yes, yes, absolutely. Well, he he totally was. Yes. He totally was um, in this because he was a little bit of a spy boy. Um, yeah, I'm now fully on board. Yeah. So yeah, this guy Igor, he he defects. He's like, yep, I'm a spy. I'll I'll give you guys information. Yeah, and like Igor's do. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Yes, <laughs> and so um, this is sociology 101. I know. <laughs> amazing (laughs) Um, so peter peter starts digging in and is like why can i not find any notes on this like there's no transcripts there's no videos or audios guess who like guess who was sent to canada to interview this guy roger hollis the head of mi5 at the time Mm -hmm. and so peter wright absolutely convinced that this guy was the mole um, and he never really got anywhere with it within the agency. Um, and so he left He left MI5, retired. Um, and it wasn't until about 10 years after Roger Hollis died that he wrote this book accusing him, which I think is a little harsh. Like, if you're going to accuse somebody. Do it with their eyes open. I don't know. Maybe. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, do it before they're in the <laughs> ground. <laughs> yeah. uh, so this guy... He wasn't even convinced that it stopped at Peter Hollis. So he goes uh, ahead and he also claims that there was... <laughs> this, is, this is ridiculous. He claims that the Prime Minister of the UK at the time as well, Howard Wilson, was also a secret KGB agent. Um, and so it's wow, starting... that's, uh, that's a little extreme. It is extreme. So up until about here, I was like, oh, yeah, maybe, until until you realize that he's kind of like on this vendetta. And so <laughs> after this book was released, there was a heap of investigations <laughs> and like Margaret Thatcher even did like a, a full like statement saying, we, we don't think these guys were spies. Like we think this guy was not right. Like. I, I think he's on a bit of a vendetta. Um, and so it ended up like escalating to the 90s where the the head of MI5 in the 90s, Stella, what a great name, Stella, uh, and her name, <laughs> um, who officially released a statement about this guy, Peter Wright. Uh, her opinion of him was that he is a man with an obsession and he was 
regarded by many as quite mad and certainly a little dangerous. And then concluded with Hollis was certainly not a Soviet spy. So basically, it's like this wild ride into thinking, oh my gosh, like we found this conspiracy and then realizing this guy just really didn't like his boss. <laughs> <laughs> so you so you at the end of this were not convinced. No, I'm was. not convinced. Cuz even I think even the FBI have cleared him as well. I mean, that doesn't I mean the FBI right. watched everyone storm the Capitol, and now they're on Twitter like, can you help us find the people who stormed the Capitol? So that, that is also true. That is true. Um, yeah, I don't know. I'm a bit unconvinced. Like if, so I, I don't know, like he, the only reason why this poor guy was accused was he had two friends that might have had ties to the KGB. Okay, but one of them was named Igor, No. <laughs> yes <laughs> that is my evidence <laughs> okay one of one of my eyebrows is raised mm. <laughs> yeah. so so he he might have been but uh, i think for legal purposes we're gonna say that everybody has cleared him as not being a spy <laughs> <laughs> um but i thought uh, before before we <laughs> the story apart thought i would just end on um my favorite quote from all of this research which was actually a line from when peter wright died um uh they ran a auto uh not an autobiography an obituary for him and one of the lines in this obituary that was like ran all over the world was uh, Peter Wright was the second most mayhem-causing intelligence officer, the first being an actual double agent. This poor guy, he was he so thought he was onto something. He was convinced. Oh, he was wow. so convinced. <laughs> yeah. Maybe he was. Who knows? who's to say? Um, but I thought that was a kind of fun, wild ride. Absolutely. That is a wild ride. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's just like, it's that's being so convinced you're right. And then just finding little tiny pieces here and there. And then just running with those little tiny pieces. I feel like that's just kind of like the story of that a little bit, you know? Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, he ended up making a fortune from this book because so the UK banned it because it, it had like allegations of, of different things within the government. So they banned it and they also banned, um, uh, what is it, newspapers and like media outlets from reporting about it. Mm. So they were very unhappy, but this made it super popular because everyone across in the US was buying it and shipping it back to the UK. <laughs> so he ended up making a killing out of this book. So whether he was right or wrong, like... And clearly still... Still popular. Yeah, still super hard to get. Um, so, I mean, maybe it was a little bit of genius. He was retired and he's like, yeah, who needs my reputation? I'm <laughs> yeah. going to make, make some money. I'm out. I'm going to make some money now. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to write about this. I'm going to write the Russians and aliens. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I feel like everyone does. Oh, my God. I just imagined him like with the laptop drawn right up by his face and he's just like, I'm going to write about all these Russians. They're all here. They're all here. <laughs> They're all here. <laughs> the 
They're everywhere. <laughs> Russians everywhere. Uh, the you think they're over there, but they're here. Okay. <laughs> wow, Sarah. I feel yeah. like that's also, you know, in some weird, twisted way, this whole story really warms my heart because it's just like proof positive that you are magnetically attracted to the things that you love. Just There's just so many elements of this story that are just, yeah, mystery and crime and, uh, like, lying and... Uh, all of all of the mysterious <laughs> stuff. I love it. I'm so glad. I'm so glad I found it. I thought it was, it was great. And I liked the wild ride I took to get here. I almost stopped on SeaWorld. I almost did it. You almost did but it? Then when I saw... <laughs> I almost did it, but then when I saw the word spy, I was like, oh, oh got to go, go that one. <laughs> yes. <laughs> All right. So that, that was my That's story. Awesome. Wow. That's, <laughs> That's a, really great. It's a little journey you took us on. Thank you. So, Drew, where was where did yours end up? Because I feel like it, it flows pretty naturally from here. Oh, Humphrey Davy? Uh, it does. Oh, <laughs> it does, definitely does not. I don't know who the fuck Humphrey Davy is, so never mind. <laughs> so, it took me four clicks, four. and I went from patella mm-hmm. to ossification, well, ossification to calcification, mm-hmm. and then ossification is the process of making and destroying bones. If oh, you didn't thank you. Know. Yes, I need. Yeah, um, I needed that calcification um <laughs> and then to calcium and from calcium to humphrey davy what's he got to do with calcium tell us a little bit what's he got to do with calcium so i, I was assuming you both knew about him because he did a lot of with no. electronics no i don't give a shit about like electronics no okay then then <laughs> i am i am very wrong and i was like oh you're a physicist you like the physics stuff right <laughs> i have successfully avoided every electronics class. oh i only took one and i hated it Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I lit things on fire. <laughs> I shorted out. I shorted continue, out everything. Please, and please caught fire. Continue. Great. I know um, what a burning resistor smells like. <laughs> does not smell good. That's for sure. It doesn't. Um, so Humphrey Davy or my boy HD. I'm gonna call him HD because you say <laughs> my boy HD. HD. Um. So he was a very prolific chemist and just a general scientist in the late 1700s and early 1800s. And he discovered a large amount of elements. He discovered calcium, magnesium, strontium, barium, boron. He discovered the true nature of chlorine. He discovered his work uh, led up to the discovery of, uh, what is that, sodium and potassium. So... Whoa, whoa, whoa. wait, 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 when? This was 1700s, like late 1700s. That's crap. That's like freakishly recent yeah right (laughs) but also feels like a bazillion years ago but but that many that many (laughs) elements he he helped discover that many elements uh he created that shit was just laying around yeah right but you know i think it's (laughs) it's more of discovering those elements in their pure form and not so much like, mm-hmm. you know, because magnesium or strontium or calcium, you can find in not its pure form. Not its pure form. It's very scientific of me. Um, you can find it in like, a, you know, bound to other chemicals. Um, mm-hmm. But he found it in its purest form. Um, and he created the arc lamp. What? I don't know if you've heard about that. Yes. Yeah. So he created yeah. the arc lamp. Um, and he performed tons of My experiments dude. with electrochemistry. 
Um, and Sorry, Drew, can I interrupt yes, you for go on. like a second? So an arc lamp is extremely crucial to me and Sarah. Yes. Um, for us to do our work um, or to know anything about space, we take something that's called spectroscopy, which is yeah. data that comes from different wavelengths of different elements in space. And it affects literally everything and anything you could study about space, whether it's like, you know, whether it's um, other planets around other stars, whether it's the stars themselves, supernovae, galaxies, everything. And the way that we calibrate them night after night is by taking a measurement of an arc lamp, which is yeah. something that's intrinsic to the instrument. So it is a way of calibrating the measurements that we take. So actually, because of this, I know that you're mentioning it very quickly, but this small thing, this small detail, actually has profound consequences for the entire field of astronomy. Yep. Well, he's uh, he's the one who created the arc lamp That's for you. That's amazing. He wow. was just he was just experimenting. Do, HD. Yeah, HD. How do you even like? How do you stumble upon? Like strontium and magnesium. Like, how do you? I, I'm such a shit scientist. But like, I can't imagine being back in the day, just like putting random stuff under a microscope and seeing what happens. Well, he actually. Like, it's amazing. He used a lot of electrochemistry. So he created a. A, a little later, I'll talk about this more, but he created a huge battery that was literally, he filled a basement with batteries and just created a, like, literally. <laughs> But now when I do that, it's illegal and a fire hazard. Yeah, so he filled a basement. And I'm not not talking like a battery that's in like a confined cell. I mean like those batteries that have like sulfuric acid dumped on them and they're just in this little box. Oh, jeez. Yeah. I'm sure his wife is so happy about that. She comes home to a flooded basement (laughs) and an arc lamp. And so he used oh, that huge yeah. battery to generate enough electricity to, to isolate these elements because you know how you you know you stick a battery in yeah. in uh, in like water and you'll get hydrogen. This it's a very similar kind of a thing. Of course. Um, but you... <laughs> <laughs> and don't that do that at home. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and the uh, the the nuts thing is he discovered all of this only living fifty years. So he was f- wow. so 50 years. Hold on, hold on, hold on. Hold on. Did he kill himself in his basement? No, he did not. <laughs> That's amazing. He he almost did. He almost did a few times, actually. Oh. How did he die? Um, he died of a stroke, actually. I'll oh. get to that. I'll get basement. to that. You're, you're rushing me. Oh, my favorite thing about, like, the... Like, the original old man rich scientist was just that they dabbled. They just dabbled in whatever they wanted and their houses were just insane with all of their random science experiments. That's amazing. Yeah. He's, he doesn't, he actually doesn't fit that stereotype so much. (laughs) Um, So he was, he was born in 1778 in Cornwall to a family of wood carvers. And um, his brother (laughs) described... His brother described the town they lived in as having an almost unbounded credulity respecting the supernatural and monstrous. And amongst the middle and upper class, there was little taste for literature and less for science. Hunting... Wait, 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 okay, okay, wait. Rewind, rewind, rewind. Read that first sentence again. An almost unbounded credulity respecting the supernatural and monstrous. Stop, 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 stop. Write that down. It's already written down. And put that... That's Lindsay. Put that on my headstone. (laughs) Yeah, that's Lindsay's catchphrase. That's that's my head. That's my obituary. 
Write it down. It's already written down. What do you want me to do? <laughs> Highlight it? Do you oh, want us to get yes. you a headstone with that on it while you're alive so you can really appreciate <laughs> it? <Yes>. <laughs> That'll go on my desk. I got to live up to it. <laughs> oh my God. We can just get your itty bitty baby headstone. <laughs> Practice, Practice headstone. headstone. <laughs> my first headstone. My, my, down. my little headstone, my little headstone. TM, 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 TM. Oh my god. Um, oh my god. Wow, that was poetry. I'm so sorry for interrupting, but that was poetry. I needed to no, savor it's that. Fine. That's amazing. He, he's actually a great poet. If you want to read some good poetry, read some of his stuff. It's it's actually like really? it's pretty good, yeah. Um Wait, him or his brother? Uh, he was. He was a great poet. Okay. His, I mean, his brother has. They, they all have ways with words, but he, he specifically has a pretty good way with words. I read some of his poetry. It's great. So, amongst the middle and, uh, and higher class, there was little taste for literature and less for science. Hunting, shooting, wrestling, cockfighting generally ended in drunkenness, and that was what they most delighted in. And so, to me, that doesn't seem like a place you really would look for genius. But here we are. We got my boy mm. HD bringing in the genius. He attended a local grammar school as his parents were not rich enough to really send him outside of their local schools. And it turned out to be a very good thing for him because he was the kind of student that would just study on his own. And he learned just a ton more just by, you know, being in this kind of crappy school. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? He just... He would. He went way outside what they were actually learning and taught himself a ton. What a legend. He learned about life. Yeah, and when his father passed away, he was sent to a better grammar school by his godfather, to which he described his teacher as, I could not discern the faculties by which he was afterwards so much distinguished. So he just... I don't know what that means. He didn't like... What does that mean? He couldn't discern the faculties by which the guy was, why he was so he distinguished. Like, why he was Why smart. is my teacher so good? Like, yeah, like, why is this guy being distinguished? Like, I can't even discern what he has. Like, you know, <laughs> this guy isn't even good. Savage. What does he have that I don't have? What does he have that I don't yeah, have? Yeah, he's savage. Um, and he later described <gasps> it. Learning naturally is a true pleasure. How unfortunate then it is that in most schools it is a true pain. Okay, well, he should have taken English a few more times. <laughs> I don't know. That seems pretty coherent to me. I feel like there were, I feel like he could have cut five words out of that sentence to make it better. Yeah. The flowery writing, that's kind of, that's kind of his thing. <laughs> um, but he, he basically is saying that learning is super great, but schools suck. Schools drool. <laughs> well, I feel, I do feel bad for this guy because I feel like, especially going into higher ed, I realize that everyone's just a bunch of fucking humans. Yeah. You know, and it's, right? yeah, to, to, to like go to like the, the academic like promised land and then realize that everyone's just pretty mediocre. <laughs> yeah, but this isn't even like higher education. This is just like grammar school. This kid's like 13. <laughs> He's like, I don't want to play Frisbee. <laughs> I don't want to play Frisbee. I want to learn about everything. So, so he was largely left alone to his own studies, and boy, could this kid study. So he ended up with a knowledge of Latin, ancient Greek, functional Italian, functional French, and of course his English. That's at the age of like 16, 17. 
so um, he was taken in by a local surgeon where he was introduced to a ton of different like wow. you know sciences because he was mostly language before. So specifically chemistry he worked in because um, he worked in the apothecary dispensary. And his mentor basically said at one point that he's literally going to blow us all up with his experiments <laughs> because this kid was just so into, you know, experimenting oh. with things. And he's just like, we're going to get blown up at some point. <laughs> Spoiler alert. <laughs> Spoiler alert. That's amazing. <laughs> but that's not how he died. No, it's not. So, um, but in this position, he read Lavoisier's uh, was it Trieta Elementaire de Chemie, which is uh, yeah, I know the treatises of elements of chemi- like of chemistry, basically like the the main book on chemistry. And because he had functional French, he was able to read it in its in its mother language, and that was one of his great influences that sort of really drove him to chemistry. And um, so, as a youth, he wrote a ton of poetry that was mostly unpublished. Um, but according to the Wikipedia page, it, it showed his youth and inexperience. But it was funny because there was a little, like, um, you know how it, how it quotes things in Wikipedia? Mm-hmm. In this one, it had a, to whom? <laughs> Instead of a quote. <laughs> it was just like, to whom did this, did it, like, appear to be childish? But that's, according to Wikipedia, it appeared to be, like, show his youth. Um, Please cite to whom. To whom this was yeah, to whom was this childish? <laughs> yeah. It was funny. I've never seen that in Wikipedia before, but it was a to whom. Um, and um, <laughs> so I really didn't want to get super into his experiments because they're they're very cool, and I understand they're cool, but I didn't want this to be like a full science lesson. I didn't want to be like, oh, you know, put this and that. Um, and I also didn't really get into his positions that he ended up, you know, occupying um, with you know, all these different chemistry organizations and all that, because that wasn't really interesting to me. What was interesting to me is the kind of researcher he was, um, because, yes, it is awesome building an entire basement full of batteries to generate electricity to isolate <laughs> elements. Yes, I will agree it is definitely. Yes, it is. Um, it is awesome. And he experimented with different compounds and electricity to create the arc lamp, which, you know, it not only did it affect astronomy, but it made mining a ton safer because the arc lamp would respond to the presence of methane in a mine shaft, which I didn't know, which oh, is super cool. Oh, wow. Um, and it also wasn't like an open flame. Fuck those canaries. Yeah, right? We're the canaries. But it wasn't an open flame, so it wouldn't just like, you know, make you explode. Wow. And he also did characterize acids as not based on the presence of oxygen, but based on the presence of hydrogen, which is also nuts to me that he was just able to figure that out. Um, he figured it out with chlorine, which, as I said, he figured out the true nature of chlorine, which there's a lot of languages that actually, um, the word for acid involves oxygen, and it's actually like a, a what is that, a faux ami in French. A faux ami is, is like a, 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 a word that looks like one thing, but it means something completely different. So, oh, like a false cognate. Yeah, exactly. So okay. yeah, the, all that's super nuts to me, but what's, what's really, really nuts to me about him is the fact that he just exposed himself to a ton of different chemicals just to figure out what they did. That's incredible. Like he just like shoved them in his face. Um, this is like the people who, <laughs> like the immunologists who will like take something injected in their body and then figure out how to treat it. Or like, who was the guy who discovered that uh, stomach ulcers could be 
um, they, they were triggered by a certain type of bacteria. So he ate some, sure enough, got a stomach ulcer and then figured out how to cure it after wow. after ingesting it probably with like an antibiotic or something that's so yeah, yeah. cool <laughs> isn't that crazy that's though, so that fucking metal i would do that i would never eat a star that's so metal oh my God. <laughs> i would never eat a star I would never. <laughs> yeah so but so one one chemical that he he popularized i will say he didn't discover it he popularized it was nitrous oxide which i don't know if you know is laughing gas Wait, okay okay you're gonna need to explain. Yes, yes. what did he do to popularize this was he just a publicist for it not only did he ingest it not ingest it not only did he inhale it and mm. figure out wow this is great because it was for <laughs> at the time it was believed to be one of the most poisonous gases and he's just like, I'm going to prove this wrong. And he inhaled it. So he just inhaled it. Yeah, he inhaled dude, what, was my, thought, oh no. what was thought to be one of the most poisonous gases. And he was like, this is great. I feel it from like the tips of my fingers to my toes. And I'm laughing and I'm having such a great time just from this gas. And so he started having parties of laughing gas. <laughs> where the, the, so main, cool. the main draw to the party was everyone would take a bunch of laughing gas and then just have a grand old party. Oh, oh my God. God. That sounds amazing. So this was like a very popular thing. Laughing gas parties were, were a very popular thing. Hold on. Um, we need to hold on, hold on, hold on, hold again? on. Before we progress any further, we need to put in like a little like caveat. Laughing gas will kill your brain cells. This is not an endorsement yes. to play with laughing gas. Yes. Laughing gas will absolutely kill your brain cells. Okay. And mm, I um, needed. That's a bummer. <laughs> needed to put that in for the youth <laughs> for the youth do they still use laughing gas like when you go to the hospital yes is what they give you i think oh, for dentists it's, yes it's, it's yes laughing gas. i can speak from personal experience the piece of yeah. the piece of skin that connects your top lip to your gums mine went down beneath my earth at the same level as my teeth. So I had a gap in my teeth growing up and they had to cut it and move it further up my gums. And they did not knock me out for the procedure. Instead, they gave me laughing gas. And I know this because the way they tested its efficacy was that the nurse just kept telling me bad jokes. And once I started laughing, they were like, oh, she's good. She's and they good <laughs> They kept me awake through the whole thing. And, and I was so loopy that all I could see was my mom on the other side of the room looking fucking horrified as they pulled, like, bloody ligaments out of my mouth. And I thought it was the funniest oh fucking God. thing. I was like, what's that? Where did that come from? <laughs> And my mom just looked disgusted. So yes, they do use laughing gas. And yes, it was a great experience. Oh my God, that's amazing. (laughs) Yeah, now they, you know, they were having parties of laughing gas where they just like take a ton and then just have a grand good time. Um, But he also exposed himself to a bunch of terrible things. He exposed himself to pure carbon dioxide. He exposed himself to pure carbon monoxide. Oh my God. And almost killed himself both times. Jesus Christ. Um, and then he inhaled nitrous yeah. oxide, which forms nitric acid in your resp- respiratory system, which I don't know if you two have ever experienced like inhaling an, uh, an acid. No. Maybe. <laughs> I used to think I was very clever for finding cat pee in my apartment by spraying bleach <laughs> everywhere. 
oh, that's uh, that's not a good choice. <laughs> it turns out bleach and ammonia hurts. <laughs> yeah, that's that's uh, you are making something not so great. So he inhaled a ton of terrible things, which you know we'll all agree. Inhaling that kind of stuff is not a good idea. That's how you kill yourself. And then um, the last thing, kind of later in his life, he blew himself up with nitrogen tetrachloride, which Mm -hmm. is a a very stinky explosive. And I do mean stinky in the sense that it smells pretty bad. Wait, Um, why is that such a familiar... It's, uh, I think it's, yeah. I think it's the stuff that smells in swimming pools. Really? I thought that was just chlorine. <laughs> oh, yes, because, no, it's when your uric acid, um, your, your pee, like, it's only if you have, um, pee and urine in a pool and it reacts with, uh, a compound of the chlorine to make the smell. Yeah. Wait, so you can tell if someone's peed in a pool? Yeah, this is why all public pools have that very, it, you, distinct yeah, smell. Yeah, you think it's a clean smell, but it is not. Yeah, it's the chlorine smell associated with sm- with swimming pools. <laughs> Hypochloric acid and ammonia, such as urea and urine. Yeah. Yep, there it is. Wow. But, um, yeah, NCL3 by itself is a pungent-smelling explosive liquid. Uh, so. Wow, and this guy, <laughs> so he blew himself up with it. Yes, he blew. He caused it. He he caused himself serious eye injury from oh. it because he liked oh, to. He liked that to makes eat. sense. You can make gunpowder out of urine. Yeah. Can you? Yes. 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 Oh, wow. yes I have a friend who did. You can't make gunpowder. You can make an explosive. Yes. I feel like that's like yes, 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 a yes. need to know for when the apocalypse happens. Yes. Yes. But yes, he blew himself up with nitrogen trichloride mm-hmm. um, and hurt himself. And during that recovery period, I don't know if you've heard of this person, but he had to hire Michael Faraday as an <gasps> assistant. <gasps> yes. Stop. I was yes. literally imagining his basement looking like a Faraday cage. Yes. As his assistant? Yeah, his assistant is Michael Faraday. I'm a, a baby Faraday! Drew, you're going to have to really edit that. <laughs> oh, my God. I never thought about a baby Faraday. Oh, my baby with the little staticky hair. Oh, that's so cute. Hi, <gasps> baby. Oh, it, it gets it gets cuter. Okay, okay. Um, Wait, so, so it was because... Well, I want to, like, savor this. It was because he was blowing himself up, he needed to hire Faraday? Well, he, he because he was in that process of recovering, he had blown himself uh-huh. up and his he had messed up his eye. And he, because he was recovering his sight, he had to hire someone and he hired, he hired Michael Faraday. Oh, that's incredible! We would not have so much physics if it wasn't for this explosion. Yes! That's amazing. Oh, my God! Oh my god! So that's um, fascinating. (laughs) So one of his biggest accomplishments to me was his ability to lecture about science, Mm -hmm. um, because his lectures were were super popular, and I mean so super popular that they had to create the idea of one way streets in London just to to fully except all the carriages that were coming in to see his lectures. Oh, my God. They had to create one-way streets. That's amazing. And and his lectures themselves were inspiring, but he even advocated for women to attend and not just for men. And 
the one thing that was very interesting is the depictions of his lectures had it was basically a 50 50 crowd of men to women which was very very cool to me that's and, how it uh, should be but definitely was not back in the day no oh absolutely not yeah this is like this that's boys amazing. club only good on him and one of the women that attended his lectures was uh jane marset yeah what a legend um so one of the women that attended his lectures was jane marset and she ended up writing a book on chemistry called Conversations on Chemistry because the, the story goes that she didn't quite understand the, the lecture. And so she asked her husband to explain. Her husband explained it to her. And she's like, you know what? I'm going to write that down. And so she wrote down these very, very basic ideas of chemistry. Not very basic, but, you know, basic ideas of chemistry. Like fundamentals. Yeah, exactly. Fundamentals of chemistry. And she published it in a textbook. And it was specifically written for women, but it got, you know, it got very popular with, uh, you know, men and women because it was just so, it was, I'm just going to say it's so basic. No, because it was, (laughs) it didn't require, it didn't require any understanding of Latin because it was written in plain English. And so it became a very, very popular book because, you know, the, the people who weren't in academia could now understand a little bit about chemistry just from this one book. Wow. wow and that That's... was just that was just one thing that he had inspired by by his lectures and here's the little kicker uh-huh. that that book that was written the conversations on chemistry is what inspired faraday to <laughs> to, <laughs> to study chemistry to study chemistry and physics was that that book on conversations on chemistry and so wow. in, a, in a circular way, he had inspired Faraday and he ended up having a rivalry with Faraday because Faraday became very popular in his own right yeah, and or prolific in his own right, I should say. And so it was this like little cute cycle where he, you know, he inspired, he inspired uh, Jane and then Jane inspired Faraday and then they all, you know, it, it's a cool little cycle. But his lectures were, were fantastic. They all inspired together. Yep, his lectures were fantastic, and he drew a huge crowd. So, um, wow. as I said, I think it was really cool that he advocated for women learning science um, because, you know, that, that definitely wasn't the, the opinion at the time. And he ended up getting mm. a very large following of women because he advocated not only for their education, but their education specifically in science. And so that oh. was, you know, to me, was a really cool thing. That he was, you know, back in the 1700s, he was that progressive. Well, this is probably 1800s at this point. He was so progressive. He was woke. Yeah, exactly. Um, and uh, so one thing that I found very funny about him. That is so cool. Yeah, right? <laughs> so he tended to be a very disorganized researcher. And he tended to just kind of jump right into things that he was studying. Same. Right? <laughs> yeah, me. Um, and he just... He kind of would he would throw himself <laughs> at his research and like it didn't really matter what the cost was or, you know, what sort of bodily harm he would do to himself. He was just like, you know, I want to discover this. I want to, you know, do this research. And so he would always throw himself at his research. And I found that very a little inspiring because it was just mm-hmm. like this guy's like, you know, he's he's studying things that he does you know i mean he he later came to understand them but you know he's studying stuff that he doesn't quite understand hence you know inhaling methane and carbon yeah. dioxide not methane uh carbon monoxide and uh carbon dioxide so he's he's studying this stuff he doesn't understand but he's willing to just throw himself at it and i just found mm. that very inspiring that is super cool and yeah he really loved what he yep. did and um 
enough to almost kill himself a couple of times. <laughs> right, enough to enough to almost you know <laughs> almost kill himself. When you gather that kind of momentum in a lifetime, and and it's imparted on the people around you, like I also find that very telling. You know, the fact that he inspired all of these people. And even, even urban planet, yeah. <laughs> you know, like yeah. it's just—you can see so much of his influence in the ways that it spilled over. That's really incredible. Yeah, and uh, you know, even what a cool character. Even outside of science, he loved fly fishing, and he had that huge. <laughs> he had that. He, he also loved. He also loved hunting too, and he had that huge social presence, especially with his laughing gas parties. Uh, where he would, oh, yeah, I'm sure I he forgot. did. He would, he would like perform experiments and stuff at the laughing gas parties and just like show off to people and and. He... Oh my god! I want to go to these parties. <laughs> right. <laughs> yes. And yeah, basically, this guy did everything and was just very good at what he did. So I wanted to cap off his story, uh, my boy HD, um, by talking about his death, of course. So in 1826, he suffered a stroke from which he never fully recovered. And from there, he wrote a, he wrote a lot of fantastic poetry called um, Consolations and Travel, which I highly recommend reading a few of his poems in there. It's, it's really good. Um, but in, in, okay. in 1829, he suffered another stroke, which ended up killing him in his hotel room in Geneva in Switzerland because oh. he was traveling Europe at the time. And um, the, the funny thing is he wished to be buried uh, when he died, but he wanted the burial to be delayed just in case he was only comatose. Because <laughs> he's like, I've done all these experiments. I know I can like knock myself out. So maybe just like poke me a little just bit. Just wait before, a couple days. You know, wait a couple days. And, and he refused to have any postmortem wow. done, like performed on him for similar reasons because he's just like, I do not want you know, if just in case I'm comatose, I don't yeah. want anyone cutting me open. And then, you know, I die on the table. So That was um, a huge fear back right. in, like, Victorian uh, times as well, wasn't it? That people would get buried with, like, bells yeah. attached to their coffins just in case. Exactly. Just in case. Or two, you know, there would also be tubes down into their, their coffins yes, so they could air. yell. And... <laughs> yeah, yeah, for air and Servants would have to stay out in the graveyard for nights just <laughs> monitoring the tubes. Oh, what a shit job. Yeah, yeah right. <laughs> oh, that's just monitoring. Absolutely. That was a magic. That was definitely a fear. Did he uh, so how long after his death did he get buried? So so Geneva actually has a has a rule against sort of waiting and they just kinda were like, Well, you know, he's actually dead, so let's just bury him. So they <laughs> they didn't they didn't wait his I think it was a few days that he had requested that he they wait to be buried yeah. he wait to be buried, but um they did not wait. They just buried him. He was dead, so you know, at the end of the day <laughs> it didn't really matter, but uh they didn't they didn't follow his wishes. Um yeah, to so so basically to to sum up Humphrey Davy, um, I would say he's just like the kind of genius that throws himself in experiments and sort of no matter what the cost, he's just willing to make these fantastic discoveries because of his genius. But I also think he lacks the, the, the care and that probably led to his death at the early age of 50. I mean, to us early age of 50, but, Mm. um, you know, I think he Mm -hmm. had a few more years in him, but, uh, yeah, that was, uh, that was my boy HD and he was a generally cool guy. That's amazing. Wow. Thank you so much for yeah. 
for that awesome history. I had no idea. That is so cool. What a fundamental human. What a, like, just, yeah. right? Fundamental to the human narrative. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> oh. Building huge batteries. Got to be fundamental. <laughs> <laughs> Acid hey. sloshing around. I'm doing this. <laughs> I'll make the batteries. It's like a, a definite brick. <laughs> <laughs> Why do you make a battery down here? <laughs> okay, so I think, I suppose that just leaves star forts. I'm kind of ashamed to admit that I tried to cheat with this one because I... <laughs> what did you do? I consider myself a pacifist, and so the moment I found myself slightly intrigued by anything to do with military history, I was like, I was trying to just like glaze my eyes and skim the top of every paragraph, and then I was like, you know what, this is, in some, like, I'm reading well more than two paragraphs, like, reading the first sentence of every paragraph, like, (laughs) I'm interested. Um... (laughs) Well, I'm glad that you caught yourself and that you self-regulated. You're cheating. Yeah. Thank you. You didn't Only cheat. Yeah. Here. And I really went the extra mile for you guys because I was so confident in my passion for the subject that I closed out of every tab. So I lost <laughs> I lost everything. I was like, yeah, I've got it. It's in my soul. Like, I'm ready to go. Um but it, t- it took me about seven clicks to get here, and I'm very entertained because I-, I had to go through my history to see what I clicked on. Um, yeah. And I find it hilarious that I, I immediately was attracted to cowboy spurs. <laughs> <laughs> what is a cowboy spur? Um, you know the, like, shiny star on the back of a cowboy boot that's, like, spiky? Yeah, yeah. Oh, oh, yeah. Yeah, so that came not long after Patella. So in about seven clicks, I ended up on Star Forts. And um, like I said, I kind of skimmed around cheating. But um, <laughs> I, I think this might be a running theme. I was really hooked by the picture of a Star Fort. So what it actually is, is a kind of like bastion or like military fort that takes on this sort of snowflake or like geometrical pattern that kind of looks like a fractal and it could be you know just like a it's they're beautiful to look at i'll put one in the chat for you guys yes please yes delight yourselves with this image (gasps) they're beautiful they're very cool and they don't always follow a geometric pattern they don't always follow like a circle with triangles stuck on the edges Mm -hmm. sometimes um it'll be like pieces of that circle kind of copied and pasted all around it um so they can take on like a wide variety of designs and so i'll totally admit that it was really the pictures that kind of entranced me and and made me want to read more so i really highly recommend just googling star forts Um, so fortunately or unfortunately, it's not because they were beautiful that they caught on. It's actually because, so, okay, imagine like a castle and like a, um, like a fortification. Yeah. Um, Like, I don't know about you guys, but I like immediately imagine like a very hefty rectangle. (laughs) Me too. I I picture the Monty Python (laughs) castle from Holy Grail. (laughs) 
yeah yeah just yeah a very yeah big old like rectangle boy rectangle. yep or you know maybe some um spires or uh like cylinders just kind of stuck on the the corners for some like pizzazz yes yeah <laughs> some <laughs> extra jazz it'd be a nice place for <laughs> a nice place for a library or a dragon or yeah. something just you know like, where my dragon lives in one of those what are those, are those yeah are those called buttresses no buttresses are the supporting like parts of the architecture um that has more to do with gothic architecture <laughs> um this is so actually that's probably a good segue because the era that i'm describing is actually um not so much gothic architecture but um more toward uh, a couple hundred years before that kind of in the um, medieval into renaissance architecture so the stark fort is a it's a renaissance invention it's a true invention because um castles or fortifications used to be the same way that we think of with these like um thick rectangles that's really all i can think to describe them (laughs) so it used to be thick rectangles with truly with these um rounded edges and believe it or not the the advent of the cannonball was a huge problem because if you are trying to defend a castle and people are approaching and they approach at one of those rounded edges there is a limited number of perspectives you can stand at and see your enemy mm. around those rounded edges. Really, the only place you can see them is straight above them looking down. If you're at one of those rounded cylinders along one of the sides, you can't see the people who are right flush against the most rounded edges of your your cylinders. I'm sorry that, for saying it like, like your spires or your towers. Yeah, so... so t- uh, towers and castles would fall very easily to cannonballs because they were um, there was very limited visibility around the edges. So um, you may be familiar with this Ninja Turtle, Michelangelo. Yes. yes. Okay. It was actually Michelangelo, the artist, um, back in the Renaissance, who developed the idea of a star fort. And the idea was if you replaced these rounded edges instead with triangular patterns then you actually doubled over your coverage around the edges of this castle. So if you added many, many, many triangles, you would actually make it such that the people who were standing around the top edges of your bastion um, were kind of like overcompensating for all of these would-be blind spots. Yeah. I don't know if that if that image mm-hmm. really makes yeah, sense. Yeah, that makes but sense. The, the, the more flush edges or the more parallel edges you have, actually the better coverage you have. So these jetting triangles made it much easier to defend these bastions, which is also why it wasn't always nice, neat little um, snowflakes, but it was also like, like I was saying, like copied and pasted areas where you would have like several lines of walls with triangles kind of attached to them. And Michelangelo started this in the Renaissance in Italy, but it became so popular that star forts started to originate all over the world. And I truly mean like through India, the Netherlands, Germany. Um, So uh, some famous star forts that you might know of, uh, I didn't recognize the name, Fort de Belvedere. Does that sound familiar to anybody? No, it doesn't. That is actually where Galileo made his observations. 
Oh, oh wow. Go. Yeah. So Galileo, um, for those who, for whatever reason, don't need to memorize all of astronomical history, um, <laughs> we, Galileo. <why> would he? <laughs> <laughs> Galileo discovered the moons around Jupiter and um, perfected, I guess you would say, the telescope, made the telescope really close to what it is today. Um, he made his observations from a starport. Um, Drew, yes. I'm going to specifically call on you. Does the name Fort McHenry mean anything to you? Uh, yes. I don't know why, but it does. <laughs> so I don't Drew know why, is but from it does. Baltimore. Are you from Baltimore? <laughs> no, no, God, no. Drew lives near Baltimore. Oh, okay. I was going to say, that's so cool. I just think of hairspray. <laughs> <laughs> Good morning, Baltimore. <laughs> yes! <laughs> okay, well, Sarah, there was another very famous song written in Baltimore. <laughs> um, it's called The Star-Spangled Banner. Oh. Oh. <laughs> So Drew makes sense. Drew and I guess now everybody else. Um, fort McHenry is where, or I think it was the the fort that was being attacked. Maybe I should know this, but I don't know this. Um, fort McHenry is to do with the the writing of the Star Spangled Banner was also a star fort. Um, to continue with the list, the base of the Statue of Liberty. Oh. Yes. Is a oh star God, fort. Yeah. That makes sense. That's really cool. So at this point, I, I'm kind of starting to sound like a conspiracy theorist because I'm like, this well-known thing, star fort. That well-known thing, star fort. <laughs> Founding fathers, star fort. Um, it's like the to, ancient to really... aliens. Aliens. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to take it a step further into like classic conspiracy theory territory. Um, Vatican City. <gasps> Starfort. No, so almost, but but cooler. Oh, okay. Vatican City. It's connected through underground tunnels. I true. I looked this up. I cross checked this in the online archives. This is true. Vatican City is connected to the Castle Saint Angelo, which is a uh, bastion which is a star fort. So Vatican City is connected through underground tunnels to a star fort. That's awesome. Oh, wow. Look at that. <laughs> <laughs> um, I am sorry, kind of as a side note, I'm sorry to report that um, I specifically looked on starforts.org um, mm-hmm. to see if there were any in Australia, and there was a thread about everyone's disappointment that there are none in There's Australia. There's none here? I couldn't find any. Oh, I wonder if that's because we kind of were colonized after the after a lot of the crusades and and things like that. It could. I mean, it's interesting that America would. Yeah, though I think you guys are a couple hundred years older than us. I'm not sure. At least a hundred and fifty okay. years older than us, I think. But it does make sense. We haven't, like, I don't, there's there's never been any, like, civil wars or anything here officially. Right. I mean, the colonizers were absolutely awful to the indigenous Australians, but neither of them had star forts. (laughs) Yeah. Right, no need for star forts. So I really, 
I was so interested in this, truly, which, you know, I'm kind of embarrassed to admit because, again, like, what do I have no, to do I love it. history? <laughs> I, I did a little bit of academic off-roading, and I just started Googling Star Forts, and um, Autocomplete said, did you mean Star Forts Conspiracy? Oh, <gasps> yes, I, I did. Know. I was like, fuck, yeah, <laughs> I did. Yeah. <laughs> So I'll give yes. you a spoiler right now, right okay. now. Um, a lot of people are stuck on the idea that they that you don't know it looks like a star until you look from above. Mm, okay, okay. You know, it's it's contingent on this aerial view. And so a lot of people who I guess have never heard of architects before are like, how did that happen by accident? Oh, are they saying aliens? Yes. A lot of people think that no. this either has to do with pleasing some kind of gods or um, that the pla- like that, that, that humans didn't plan this or that star forts came about by accident and have this kind of cosmic symbolism where, you know, it's warfare, it's a place of death. Some star forts, because of colonialism, are literally built on burial grounds. And, you know, that's more to do with the cruelty of humanity than anything perfectly consequential. I mean, sorry, perfectly uh, coincidental. I'm sorry. Um, So people say, like, Mm -hmm. you know, it's this connection between the heavens and the underworld, being that it's a star, and that it's built on burial grounds or it's a place of death. So some people see this as kind of a liminal space between the living and the dead. Um, but I went to one person's website who seemed very impassionate by this. Um, his name is Chad Stumka. And uh, what really sold me is that he just kept photoshopping <laughs> star forts on the backgrounds of galaxies. <laughs> and black holes like a really subtle <laughs> illusion oh my god that's amazing um with, they flow very nicely because really the architecture of these are gorgeous and yeah. then to see them against you know nature's architecture was very nice so i was you know litzy at 3 a.m was hooked i was like <laughs> fuck yeah this is what i came here for um but I'll come back. I'll come back to perhaps maybe the lowest hanging fruit, which is the Castle St. Angelo, the one that's connected to Vatican City. And so I would like to just, I, I would like to quote the muse himself, Chad Stumka. Um, he says that the Castle St. Angelo and the Vatican are connected by a corridor in which the Pope and other elites could escape in the case of war or uprising. Mm. Legend has it that Archangel Michael manifested atop the mausoleum in 590 AD, sheathing his sword and announcing the end of the bubonic plague. It was this manifestation of Michael which led to the naming of the castle. I'm not sure what Michael has to do with St. Angelo other than Angel. I don't know. I don't don't know. know either. Considering the legend, could Archangel Michael have manifested through a portal within a star fort would that make this star fort a stargate? A stargate oh, connected to the Vatican? Something to ponder. <laughs> Shout out to Chad. <laughs> Thank you, Chad. Shout outs to Chad. <laughs> that claps for Chad. That 
jump that leap. Truly something to ponder. I didn't see it coming and that's hilarious. That's incredible. <laughs> the Pope and other yes, elites. Yes, it is, Chad. <laughs> Pope and other elites, I like it. But now we all know. Oh my goodness. <laughs> we all know the true me. I think what I love the most the about this was that there was this club. dramatic picture of uh, like a statue <laughs> of St. Saint Michael sheathing his sword with like these enormous wings and he had photoshopped behind it a sort of like space time black hole sort of like web of I, I, like fabric of space behind it looked very convincing it was very provocative wow <laughs> Starfort conspiracies there you go yeah yes. something to ponder I will ponder I <laughs> I need to see I need to see these images of all of the star forts uh, like photoshopped on the galaxies and black holes. I think that's magical. <laughs> Here we go though. This is like yeah. a great idea for like a sci-fi movie <laughs> where everything is connected through star forts. Oh my god, this is like what is it? National treasure but on like galactic scale. I can't believe National Treasure did not involve star forts because they are so ubiquitous mm. and, and, and old. Like, I was just kind of shocked that it was, like, the Michelangelo who who invented these. It's amazing. Yeah. It's very cool. Yeah. Maybe we've got something to look forward to in, like, National Treasure 5 or whatever they're up to. <laughs> Have they made sequels? I don't even know. Yeah. They've definitely got two, I think. I used to love them. I loved a good bit of a conspiracy theory back in the day. Tell me why I was about to be like, haven't you ever heard of Night at the Museum? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the sequel to National Treasure was Night at the Museum. Night at the Museum. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, that's all that's I have funny. on Star Wars. Oh, that's Holy amazing. Crap. I really enjoyed learning about that. That was really cool. <laughs> <laughs> It makes sense though. Like their their construction makes a lot of sense, so I can I can yes, see why very practical. Yeah, I can see why they were being you know they were being made, but you know, I also can see why conspiracy theories would be like, oh, it's from the sky. You can it's a star fort from the sky. <laughs> exactly. How could people have known? How could people have known? They don't have bird's eye view. How could no one will know? I do agree with your comment that have they never heard of an architect before? <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, it's just kind of amazing, and and you know it just it baffles me the way that like there's like a, a rhythm to conspiracy theory writing that's like therefore or thusly like they use yes. these transitional words that just have like such a weird sense of condescension that's like. You have to believe me because I'm using really smart words to put my thoughts together. Yeah. <laughs> Whereas if we if we do that in like our scientific papers, we'll get them crossed out and be like, no, write write in plain English. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, but there's also that like that step of like fact, 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 jump. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> But I'm, like, really priming you for it. The way I'm, like, Statue of Liberty or, like, Star-Spangled Banner. Like, coincidence? I think not. It's like, stamp, stamp, stamp. (laughs) It's so good. Leap off the cliff. (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> Jump with me now. Starforts aliens. <laughs> I love it. Oh, that's good. All right. Thanks for hanging out with us. Um, I hope that you've learned something new that you get to share at parties, either over Zoom or slowly, safely in person. If you want to keep hanging out with us on Twitter, uh, just search the handle GoAskAlicePod because we are both a podcast, but we consider you guys part of our pod. Um, let us know where you've ended up on the internet or places that you have been sleepwalking and realize that you've woken up, whether it's on TikTok or YouTube. I personally like to watch videos of people mixing paint, so really no shame here. Um, yeah, let us know what you've learned and what you would like to learn. And thank you for spending time with us today. And we'll hang out with you guys next week. Googled what is a fairy.